Hello, and welcome to another episode of Radio SGN. I am one of your humble hosts, A.V. Eichenbaum. Pronouns, they, them. And I'm back. Yay. Did you miss me? Probably not. That's fine. Hi, Lindsay's here. She, her pronouns. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, I am here. I did, of course, have to cut out while I was editing the show all of the lavish praise you guys just laid on me about how I'm such a great boss and how I'm just so funny all the time. But that's... (laughs) I'm joking. That was a complete lie. I learned a lot about dogs and Pedro Pascal last week, and I am happy to be back. How are you? I was going to say, I'm actually a little tired, but I feel very prepared to talk about the news because I've spent the whole day delivering papers. Yeah, our delivery gal, Georgia, who is also a part-time writer for us on occasion, is out of town, and and Lindsay went ahead and filled in for her, so I didn't have to do it on foot in the rain, which is, uh, thank you very much for that. How was it without me here at the SGN? I mean, it it was pretty business as usual. I got a lot more FaceTime with Angela this week, which was great, because I love her very much. You know, we just vibed, we chilled, we did our work. Yeah, we talked about dogs a lot more. And I got the okay from Angela to write about the Friends experience, which is something that I'm sure you might have been a bit skeptical of had I pitched it to you. Uh, Yeah, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I didn't watch a whole lot of Friends, and I still don't quite understand the cultural significance. But I do appreciate that you did write about the cultural significance in your article this week. We are not going to talk about it because we have had too much pop culture corner for for the last episode holy shit guys you're wonderful i'm i thank you isabel mata for filling in for me i i appreciate it we are no longer allowed to talk about pedro pascal until until season two comes out for at least five more episodes we cannot talk about pop culture corner at all i think i pop culture cornered out Y'all, um, <laughs> also, though, being back, I did want to say I'm grateful that you and I don't agree on everything. As entertaining and lovely as it is to have you and Isabel uh, hosting the show and co-hosting the show, I don't know if I can take that much positive energy and girl power all at once. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a different vibe. Like I said, it was slumber party energy. We were just hyping each other up. It felt like a Wednesday in the office when we're making our TikToks, except we were making a podcast, so we just got to ramble even longer. It was fun. I mean this in the nicest way possible. I, uh, it was like walking into a bar. You know, it's like having someone come out of the bathroom and just hype you up for no reason. Yeah. It felt like that for me, editing it, and I don't go out that much. So thank you again, Isabel Mata. You can check out her show, Being Yourself Loudly, on the Seattle Gay News Podcasting Network now, uh, and you can find that wherever podcasts are. We have a great show for you guys coming up. We had Joy Hollingsworth. I got to speak with her. She's got a lot of interesting views, a lot of interesting campaign ideas. It was really nice to be back in the saddle. All that and more after these messages. Hi, this is Dr. V. Hill with V. Hill Family Medicine. Ever wish your doctor knew you by name, understood where you were coming from, and listened to your unique health concerns and worries? I have built just such a practice where the focus is on you and the care delivered is in line with your values and ideals. Learn more about affirming primary care at V. Hill Family Medicine. Visit VIGILMD.com 
or call 253-693-0071. Radio SGN is sponsored by Seattle Shakespeare Company. Hal is a young trans prince asked to sacrifice his identity to assume the responsibility of ruling a nation. Family drama and political intrigue intertwine to make way for a new ruler. And as unrest grows and conflict bubbles, England dares to ask, who has the right to wear the crown? An all-BIPOC company gathers for drum and colors, Henry IV, an epic tale of a polarized nation playing March 15th to April 9th at Center Theater at Seattle Center. More information at seattleshakespeare.org. Joining me today via Zoom, uh, another city council candidate for District 3. I'm very excited to be uh, talking to you today. She's got a lot to say. She's got a lot of opinions, and I'm really stoked to hear them all. Uh, please welcome to the show Joy Hollingsworth. Joy, how are you? I'm doing well, Ash. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, you know. it. We had a little bit of sun earlier this week, and that was nice. Just trying to adjust to the new spring lights that orb in the sky. So you're running for Seattle City Council District 3. Your family has a history of working in the city. You're born and raised here in Seattle, and your grandmother was an activist. How does that legacy affect your policies and, and the intimacy of working within the city? Yeah, great question. Uh, 38 years growing up in the district, I've seen a lot. I've experienced a lot. I've seen the gaps that policy has made and the people that have fallen through those gaps. And so, you know, my grandmother working in the school district for a long time, my mother working at King County Housing Authority, and my father working at Seattle Parks Department, I have a very unique perspective about our city and different ways in which smooth government operates, civil rights, a whole different spectrum of, of things. And so I'm, I'm really excited to hopefully bring that uh, lens to city council. Let's look at your priorities here. You've got on your website, community safety, affordability and housing stability, nourishing small businesses and economic recovery, youth enrichment, community wellness and viability, sustainability and environment. Uh, you're one of two candidates that has a stance on the environment currently uh, for District 3. When you talk about your policies, you talk about how they are uh, short-term or sustainable or attainable. There's no pie-in-the-sky sort of rhetoric here with you. Yeah, it's it's coming from a background of athletics, you always had measure goals, right? I come from a background where we had four quarters in basketball. You wanted to win the game, but it was also about a possession, right? If you're on defense or offense. Yeah. And so I look at things very goal-oriented, measured progress. And so it's very simple for me if you're talking about certain subjects. Okay, what is that first thing we can attain? We know we want to get to a certain place. But what is that first goal we can attain and how we can continue to measure that progress and inch there? And so it's just really my background um, where that that comes from and those skills um, and values. You were a basketball coach, right? Yeah, way back in the day, basketball coach and player. Um, I actually played basketball here at Seattle Prep. And then I went off to University of Arizona, U of A, Bear Down, to play basketball and overseas in Greece. Rad. That's really cool. So taking that athletic mindset to politics forward, that goal-setting mindset. What are your goals for community safety? How, how do you plan to achieve those? So community safety, I believe it's the right response to the right situation. 
And what that means is you have to have a baseline level of safety, which that includes EMT, fire, and it also includes police in that type of aspect as well. But it's also addressing root causes. Um, And so we're not trying to criminalize poverty. We understand that there have been harm done by the police department. Relationships have to be connected to people that look like me in our community. Um, And so that starts with conversations. That starts with outreach. That starts with a city council tone as well. And that's to ensure also that we're addressing root causes that create safe environments for communities. And what does trust with the police force look like for you? I'll be upfront with you. I'm an abolitionist. A lot of our listeners are, not all of them. We have people on all sides of the political spectrum, right? So I'm curious about what the next steps should be, you think, for SPD. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's interesting because you talk to abolitionists, you have your views, I have my views, community has their views, which is great. And I love that we're having this conversation. And I think about the first step to reestablishing those relationships are communities inviting those police officers to have conversations with them in spaces. Our young people are asking for conversations. Our elderly communities asking for conversations. They want some type of open line communication with police and accountability. Um, Everyone has their own difference of opinion, but I know that from certain communities, that's what I'm hearing. And the Black community also is not a monolith. So there's different people that have different opinions. But so far, what I'm hearing, they want to establish conversations and relationships. And that's what that, and accountability is huge. Do you think it'd be easier to address accountability if more of our police force lived within the city and knew the communities that they're serving in? Yeah, if they had relationships, if they walked the path, if they knew the business owners, if they knew people by their first names. Um, But I also know that's affordability piece, that it's really expensive to live in Seattle as well. It is. Uh, And District 3 has changed a little bit uh, since last election cycle. I live in East Lake. I muscled my way in here. I snuck in when no one was looking. Um, But that's also in District 3 now. And Living in Eastlake and working in Capitol Hill, it's two very different environments in the same sort of thing. Is the CD also in District 3? Could you remind me of that? It is. Central District. So that's three very different neighborhoods with very different issues. Eastlake, I know from working and living here for many, many years, is very, very pro-local business. And I think most of Seattle is to an extent, depending on who you ask, right? How can we better support those local businesses? What I'm hearing from small businesses, number one, is we talk about downtown a lot, it being the front porch of Seattle for a lot of commerce. But also small businesses have to be involved in that revitalization of small businesses, easier access to grants and open access, Um, understanding some of what their issues are and concerns with, you know, them being a part of the bigger ecosystem, feeding into other businesses in the city. Also, they're talking about safety pieces and not just, you know, our baseline level of safety, but crosswalks and how stuff is lit at night and our roads. All these different things play into the conversation of safety and what people think about that. I know a lot of people don't think of replacing a sidewalk that might have been uprooted by a tree because people need that to be accessible. That's safety. So thinking about those pieces as well, the tree canopies, all these things play into that that environmental connection sort of a holistic approach to safety, not just trust with the police officers and people that serve the community, but also the very infrastructure. It's holistic. We're talking about mental service providers. We're talking about uh, food access points. We're talking about community centers, senior centers. 
this all plays into the whole role of community safety from my perspective. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't disagree with you. I think when we look at community, we really should be looking at the people within and every single aspect of a community affects the people there. So let's talk about youth enrichment. What's going on there? So your grandmother worked as an educator for a long time. Well, let's talk about schools. Well, look, city council is not the school board. So I understand that the school board has jurisdiction over our Seattle public schools. However, city council is responsible for our parks, our community centers, our summer programs to make sure those are funded, our arts programs, all these different things in which those connect with youth. And youth, they're not in a lot of conversations. When we, the top biggest issues you see is safety, people experiencing homelessness and housing. Youth are left out of that. And that's a problem because we don't engage the youth until it's too late. And so making sure our parks are funded, community centers right now are underfunded. So the 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. time at community centers that should be open access are filled with revenue generating programs that other people are paying. So youth don't have anywhere to go. And so we need to restart those programs. Late night program, which is phenomenal, was where youth could go between 9 p.m. and 12 p.m. to have a safe place to go at night. I'm always interested to hear what people have to say about the communities in which they live. And that seems to be your whole bread and butter. Everything about your campaign stems from the fact that you uh, have grown up here. You've seen it change. Even just in the past five years, the city has changed. The past six years, it's changed very rapidly. And I'm curious to know what you think the biggest changes are in Seattle, the biggest problems that District 3 especially faces, and I guess a reflection before we look towards the future. Number one is housing stability. Look, I come from a district that used to be 90% Black, and now we're at 10% or less. And so when I think about that, I think about growth. But growth shouldn't also mean displacement as well. And so I think about renters. I think about people that want to purchase homes. I think about people that want to age in place. And I also think about people experiencing homelessness. Housing stability. And what does that look like? And being from the Central District, understanding I currently live in a triplex. We had to turn our house into a triplex back in 2001 to save our family home. So my grandmother can age in place. She had other rental properties like in our unit, so it could help with her retirement and keep up with the unaffordability of our district. She bought this home for $5,000 in 1947. And a lot of those people who bought those homes weren't expecting their property values to go up significantly where they're on a fixed income and they're having to pay property taxes, affordability, gross. I mean, so many different things. So I think about housing in our district. I also think about the essentials in our district, thinking about we have four libraries, we have three community centers in our district, we have roads that need to be improved, lighting, an environment. There's so many different things that need to be improved in our district. The essentials often gets left out significantly. And small business. I'm all about small local businesses, particularly Black-owned businesses that can come back into the Central District and have some type of economic viability with the neighborhood that has significantly changed. And that's what I'm hearing that community wants. We've seen it with Africatown, King County Equity Now, all the businesses that are coming back. You know, they don't have a voice and a seat at the table. And that's a problem. Well, we're coming up on our time together here. I forgot to ask you about the queer community specifically. Are you a member of the LGBTQ plus community? I sure am. I have a wife. I've been a part of the community even since I was born. You know, I was different. And how does that inform your policies? 
Yeah, always looking through the lens of equity, diversity, and inclusion, ethnicity, race perspective, but also like from the LGBTQIA community as well, ensuring that we have representation in every single form because we are underrepresented, we are marginalized, making sure that that lens and ensuring there's always a seat at the table for our community to be able to voice their concerns and how it impacts their community always. Where can we find you online? I'm on all of the platforms, even TikTok, believe it or not. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all at Joy for Seattle. Super simple. J-O-Y-F-O-R-S-E-A-T-T-L-E. Joyforseattle.com. Follow us, slide in our DMs, tell us what you want us to do better. Tell us your perspective. I'm always engaging with people on social media and having conversations. And I'm open like that. I want to talk to people and I want people to hear our perspective and I want to hear your perspective. And all of that will be in the show notes, of course. Joy, uh, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with before we head out today? I'm a community builder and a bridge builder, and I'm looking forward to creating open, transparent access, particularly for our Gen Zs and millennials to government and showing them how it operates so they can participate. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Good luck to you. Thank you, Ash. I appreciate it. We are not brought to you by Squarespace. We are not brought to you by Blue Apron. We are not brought to you by uh, Better Health. Better Health. We should should be brought to you by Better Health because, oh boy. Do we need it? Do we need it? (laughs) Yeah, I, my therapist was unavailable this week so i'm oh. just raw dog in life basically and like i'm <laughs> feeling it uh speaking of raw dog in life thanks for listening we're back house bill 1469 <laughs> reproductive and gender affirming care protections for it yeah we've got some good news in the paper this week um, yes we do i mean if you're sick like we are of hearing about every single fucking bill being proposed and passed through different parts of state congresses to limit the LGBTQ community. This is one bill that's going to hopefully protect both the LGBTQ community and um, the reproductive justice movement in Washington state. Absolutely. If you're sick of hearing about bathroom bans in other states or abortion bans in other states or anti-trans bills in other states... Heyo, we've got Washington House Bill 1469 right here in our state of Washington. Honestly, it's a good news moment. It feels really tragic that we have to say this, that it's good news that we had to make sure that this was happening and, and that it, it is happening. And it, it hasn't been passed yet is my understanding, but it is out there in the open. Uh, in Alabama, they are trying to pass laws that would potentially punish people for seeking care in Washington or another state where it's not illegal for you to get trans-affirming health care or an abortion. So this law becomes not just as important as we mentioned, but it's necessary for people that are coming here to seek care. And as Benny wrote in this article, we're seeing that people are coming here. Let's give people who maybe haven't read the article yet a little bit of an overview, Lindsay. What, what are we talking about here with House Bill 1469? Yeah, so 
since about a year ago when Roe v. Wade was overturned, we saw a bunch of laws go into effect almost immediately banning abortion in states like Idaho. And likewise, as bans are coming through banning trans youth from getting gender-affirming care, like puberty blockers or hormones, um, even, you know, these bans like on drag queens, it's caused a lot of these more conservative states to really buckle down on their anti-LGBTQ laws. And for people that need this kind of medical care, like an abortion or like gender-affirming care, there's not much of a choice other than to seek care from another state. And so for people living somewhere like North Idaho, Washington is the place to go. So now they are trying to pass House Bill 1469 in our state, which would protect people from out of town from being prosecuted when they return to their home states or from being extradited over state lines if they were to flee to be able to receive care. It's kind of scary when you think about it in terms of the fact that we are needing to make states to protect people from other states. It feels kind of Civil War-esque. Um, that is exactly where my mind went. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, not to Although be. Although it's it's not the first time that things like this have happened. We have um, in the United States. It's it's a pretty regular practice that people are extradited back to the states that they reside in when they have committed a crime and crossed state borders. And this was something back during like prohibition and also when like the drinking age was changed nationally that we saw differences in states. Like in Idaho and Montana, the drinking age remained at 18 up until I want to say like the 70s. That was something where again there was kind of debate about well if somebody from Washington hops the border and is drinking underage in Idaho can they be extradited back and charged in their state for committing a crime that in their state is illegal. Of course though this is much more serious than drinking because it is affecting people's bodies and health and all that jazz. Yeah I was about to say the main difference here as opposed to like a like a murder that happened in Montana and then the person went somewhere else like Tennessee or someone way way far away and got extradited back. The difference here is it's about bodily autonomy Mm -hmm. right and it's about what you do with your body to make yourself feel better about your gender or about your own personal sort of husk that your soul is traveling through this world in and it fascinates me that people think that they can keep track of this yeah again it's it's one of those things where when legislators start talking about transness in general and they start talking about these things like not everybody passes or even wants to pass Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, right, like, let's say I was living in a state where it's illegal to be trans, because that's happening very quickly. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I mo- came to Washington and I started taking, you know, medication through the mail, or if I started taking estrogen pills and, and transitioning and got a prescription here in Washington state and then took that back to visit whatever family I have in the state that I came from, there's no way that they would be able to know Right. As I was transitioning. And I I just I can't wrap my head around the logistics of trying to enforce this without completely destroying any sort of sense of privacy. Yeah, it's definitely getting there. I think my prediction on this is that we're going to have to see eventually a federal law. One way or the other, um, I'm thinking that the federal law would have to be to protect the rights of trans people because I 
maybe I'm too blindly hopeful to think that it could not possibly happen that we would see a federal law that would you know, ban the use of medical transition drugs. But at least, you know, in terms of like civil war, again, bringing that up, Mm. that was kind of what we needed when states could not agree state by state on these things. It it feels kind of reminiscent of that too, where you're like, oh, so here's a state that you're allowed to be trans. Here's a state where you're not allowed to be trans. That's my prediction as a political scientist is that we're going to have to see somebody step in federally and tell these Southern states pretty much that the laws they're making aren't constitutional, which I fully believe they are not constitutional but again with what you were saying on you know if you were to go travel somewhere where those kind of medications are outlawed you're right in the sense that I don't think people they they couldn't just know that you had them on you but you know if you got pulled over the police could search you and you could be detained and arrested if you were a resident of that state I think similar to like marijuana laws where you can legally consume marijuana here but if you were to go to Montana no actually it's legal Montana I don't know like Tennessee and bring a pocket of edibles with you if the police pulled you over and found that you would be facing some heavy charges heavier charges though if you were trans yeah so an interesting prediction from Lindsay anderson and i thought i was the nihilistic one uh here on the show <laughs> well t- to be fair my prediction i don't think it's nihilistic in per se i think that we're gonna need like biden to come forward and make a law protecting trans people oh sorry and i extrapolated from that that I, he's I wasn't not gonna there. do okay. it yeah uh i don't think he's gonna do it i'm hoping that our next president who will be a woman will well there you go so i mean we've got more kind of good news to talk about if you'd like mike andrew wrote about some proud boys getting beat up at a new york city drag queen story hour and you know hey new yorkers man yeah i um, love them (laughs) restores my faith in that whole state now new york city is its own sort of interesting dreams are made of that's yeah it's uh, a <laughs> New York City, City is a beautiful place. Proud boys get punched in the face. Yeah, it's it's a brief. It's basically a highlight. But a guy in a gold fo- guy fox mask slapped an attendee allegedly, reportedly, and assaulted reporters covering the event. And then he was arrested. About two hundred attendees, including families with children, gathered at the city's LGBTQ plus community center in Greenwich Village. Which there's a really great pizza place in Greenwich Village called Emmett's. If you've ever gone, you should. If you haven't, uh, they were confronted by a much smaller group brandishing Trump signs, many in distinctive Proud Boy outfits, and uh, they just got the shit kicked out of him. Them Proud Boys. Yeah, they ran away with blood on their faces. And then the crowd chanted, fuck the Proud Boys. Yeah. And then one of the group's bloodied members complained to reporters, I came here to help, not get the shit beat out of me. I like that at least he can admit he got the shit beat out of him. Yeah. Uh, Personal accountability is important. This actually, I was thinking about identity politics and how while this is fun to talk about, We got to remember it's a small, strange victory, and the uh, opposition is not monolithic when it comes to their beliefs or when it comes to what they will and won't put up with. Anyway, that's just my little side thought. What else we want to talk about today? (laughs) We got got Uh, vandals in Vancouver. 
who unfortunately, this is sort of the opposite side of that, uh, there was a drag queen brunch that was going to happen in Vancouver, Washington, but unfortunately Heathen Brewing Feral Public House was hit with vandals. They got their glass broken. It's part of a trend around the country where events that are featuring drag queens are, like we just saw with the New York City Drag Queen Story Hour, uh, targets of right-wing extremists. And yeah, we saw this happen in Renton not that long ago either when they somebody shot through the window of the bar that was doing drag queen story hours yeah it just keeps happening and it's uh this violence against you know it's interesting okay let's let's parse this because i was going to say this violence against lgbtq plus supporting people but really it's violences against businesses mostly Mm -hmm. which when you break it down you know property is property and they could be doing worse. I'm not saying that this isn't terrible that these uh, LGBTQ plus owned and supporting businesses are being attacked. You know, it, they shouldn't be being attacked. They should be able to do what they want freely. However, it's kind of a small blessing that right-wing groups place such value on property. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I haven't seen it that way. I was more thinking that it feels akin to Nazi-style uh, terror attacks when you remember during like the beginning of the rise of the holocaust they were attacking like jewish owned businesses um i mean again i don't want to be like fear-mongering but that's the vibe it gives me is it's an intentional intimidation to try to get businesses to cut ties with drag queens oh it absolutely is yeah it is but it also i'm just thinking back to 2020 when the right wing were screaming about hey what about all of this uh, property damage right and Mm, property damage was such a big talking point at the time and now they're doing the same thing obviously these businesses are suffering because of it and that's a shame that sucks Mm -hmm. but windows can be replaced i'm thankful i guess that they're not attacking people in person at least on the west coast just yet and that in (laughs) new york the uh, front line is being defended by drag queens who can kick ass a little bit of a positive spin on it today i guess i'm trying to find the positives as we are want to do here on the show sort of our cheerful existential dread (laughs) that you can only find right here on radio sgn Absolutely. Sorry, I'm trying to scroll through our stories, and it's kind of hard to find a story that isn't filled with pop culture or Pedro Pascal, Yeah, especially Izzy's op-ed this week. Fascinating. Wild. <laughs> huh. Crazy. Speaking of our spin on existential dread, Lindsay Anderson, you did write about the climate activists that were out in force protesting uh, Chase Bank. Now, this is not a new occurrence, but it is a lot more well attended than I'm used to seeing. Yeah, very well organized, too. They had matching yellow jumpsuits that said toxic waste crew on the back. (laughs) They are trying to get rid of the toxic waste that Chase is effectively funding. I guess, by funding major fossil fuel projects. And it was really interesting because it's something that I don't think of a lot about, even though I read about climate change quite often for the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I don't think about the ways in which the banks in our own neighborhood are contributing to climate change by investing in fossil fuels the way that Chase is. And one of the people I talked to at the protest brought up that it's not just Chase, too. It's all these big banks that are actually on Broadway. So even though they did their demonstration outside of Chase Bank, there was a partition of people going up Broadway in the middle of the street chanting and, you know, yelling and getting honks from cars because people were supportive of them. 
them and hopefully the end result will be people that do bank with Chase and maybe aren't aware like I was of just how harmful that is will cut their ties with the bank and move their money to smaller banks like Umpqua, BECU, Navy Federal. I moved from Chase to Umpqua last year uh, for reasons that I don't really want to get into but Chase (laughs) they took $300 out of my account for no reason and then wouldn't give it back. Jeez, not only are they funding climate change. A lot of issues with that bank. The customer service reps there, I will be fair, they were very sympathetic and they were like, yeah, I don't know what's going on either. So, hey, the working class members of Chase Bank, it's not your fault. You know, solidarity with you. I'm sorry that you work for an evil corporation, but you can change that by finding another job somewhere else. Well, and one thing that I found interesting with this article is I felt encouraged to do a little bit more research into, you know, what is going on with climate change right now. And the IPCC has just released their annual report. And this year's report was taking data from the last seven years and trying to come up with like conclusive statements about where we're going with climate change, what our progress is looking like, if the world is on par to meet the goals that they've set for themselves at things like the Paris Climate Accord. And although it seems pretty devastating, it's a very, very long and boring report to read. But it does seem kind of devastating when you look into the fact that at their grand meeting to discuss the report, Much of the discussion was not about prevention anymore, but about how we as humanity are going to adapt because we're not preventing it. We're in the middle of it now and things are just going to keep getting worse. And there was a really good conversation that was brought up that people living in developing nations and some of the poorer countries in the world are the ones that are going to have the biggest impacts by major climate events. Uh, We already saw this happen like this year in Turkey with the earthquakes. So now these countries are demanding funding from rich nations like the United States and China that haven't done more to prevent climate change and also have been some of the biggest contributors to rising global emissions. And while for the most part, rich countries have agreed to pay these poorer countries to help them kind of stock up and prepare for these natural disasters, uh, they're still not funded nearly as much as they should be, uh, which is now kind of what the conversation around climate change activism is shifting to look like. These folks were not associated with Extinction Rebellion which is something that you've also covered in the past. Yes, this this protest was put on by Third Act, Stop the Money Pipeline, and 350 Seattle, which are three different organizations. Uh, the first two being national organizations with chapters in Seattle, and 350 Seattle is based in Seattle, although there are 350 chapters in like every major city. The, the good news here, I guess, is that Um, One thing these protesters were very quick to share with me and then again was reflected in the IPCC report is that these protests have actually been working. And, you know, we talked on the podcast last year about the scientist that tied himself to the bank to protest Mm -hmm. and the other person that lit themselves on fire. And they're desperate and devastating protests, but people are listening and At least abroad, we're seeing banks and corporations change. They mentioned that there was an organization in Europe that shifted their funding away from fossil fuels. And up until they shifted their funding, they were the biggest funders of fossil fuels as a corporation, which now they're looking at Chase as being one of the leaders in funding 
climate change. Huh. Yeah. So really, the ne- the next wave, I feel, is to be targeting American-based corporations because they're the ones that have been hesitant to change. Uh, but it's been positive to see the ways in which organizations and corporations in Europe have shifted based on the pressure that protesters have been putting on them. I mean, hit them where it hurts, right? In their wallet. Yeah. You can make sure that it looks like they're going to lose business over this. Also, I it does seem to me uh, a sound investment for businesses out there in the world to move towards an energy source that is renewable and doesn't cost as much to handle. Yeah. Well, and I'm surprised that more business investors don't feel the same way, especially at Chase Bank, where their main source of income is not oil or fossil fuels. So here's hoping that they get some sense beat into them, you know, like a proud boy attacking a drag queen. You know, let's <laughs> let's let's hope that they get their faces uh, smacked a little bit. W- they wake up and smell the coffee soon. Yes, definitely. And you know, you did bring up really quick that it is surprising that businesses like Chase aren't more interested in investing in renewable energy sources, but in the United States that's because so many of our politicians are funded by tycoons in the oil industry and other industries that benefit from fossil fuels that they don't want to encourage businesses to take money away from that because it'll take money away from them and their campaigns so it's a very kind of dirty icky (laughs) cycle of yeah lobbying is such a wild thing that it's allowed still it it feels like a hundred years ago very early 20th century like ah hey you know, I'm going to bribe you to pay me more money. It's just this crazy thing that American politics does. There are countries where lobbying is not allowed, where corporations don't get a say in the politics of them as actively as they do here in the United States. And and yet... The United States, where corporations have more humanity than women. Yeah, I mean, corporations are still, and this is something that some people are still surprised by, considered legal entities, which means they have the same rights as a human being in the United States. Corporate entities (laughs) are people in all but action, I guess, which is sort of a Lovecraftian way of considering humanity or personhood in general, isn't it? This big, amorphous, multi-mouthed, multi-faceted, multi-souled creature that destroys everything in its wake is considered the same as you or me, in terms of legal repercussion. Horrifying. Well, that took a dark turn. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be back. <laughs> we miss you. Ah, so, yeah, that about wraps it up for our show. You can follow us online at radio.sgn. You can go ahead and follow us at Seattle Gay News. We're back on Twitter. We're on Facebook under Seattle Gay News. You can check us out on sgn.org. If you like what you hear, you can donate to us. There's a little pink donation button right there at www.sgn.org. We take any denomination of money. A dollar, it can be five dollars, it could be 50 cents, whatever you can spare uh, really does help us move forward. We do have advertising, but really support from listeners like you and readers of the paper is what keeps us going. Lindsay, is there anything you'd like to say before we head out? Yeah, I just hope that you listener at home, by the time this podcast reaches your beautiful little ears, I hope that former President Donald Trump has been arrested. That's what I hope for the world.
I keep forgetting that he he's been shouting about that for the last week. I've become like <laughs> blind to it. Like I completely spaced. But yeah, that is that is something that was in the news that we just didn't cover because it seemed like he was crying wolf again. Yeah, they've uh, been putting barricades up. So it's any day now. My prediction is I think they're going to wait until April 1st. Because what an April Fool's Day. Donald Trump gets arrested. People won't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you in the funny pages. Radio SGN is hosted by A.V. Eichenbaum and Lindsay Anderson and produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show is provided by TRG Banks and Jesse Spillane, or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on sgn.org or wherever you find podcasts. This podcast is part of the Seattle Gay News Podcasting Network.